Hello, and welcome to another edition of Let's Go GHO. Our podcast today will feature an interview with Dr. Andy Lamb. Dr. Andy Lamb has become a dear friend of mine over the last 20-some years. He began his medical training at the Dwight Eisenhower Army Medical Center, where he served for three years as a resident. He continued on to serve in our military as a physician and then later transitioned into private practice where he has been in Burlington, North Carolina for a total of 36 years as a physician. And as I look at his resume, which now reads his current position as medical director of Oak Street Health, which is an innovative model of providing health care to benefit the patient and not the bottom line. He has also become a disciple maker having the opportunity to lead a number of his colleagues to the Lord and then discipling them so that they in turn become disciple makers. Andy has given his life not only to medicine, but to mentoring, discipling, and investing in the next generation. Andy has been involved with GHO over 20 years and the last 15 years has served as one of our outstanding team leaders. I'm looking forward to you getting to know better my friend, Andy Lamb. My first uh, thing I want to do is welcome you, Andy, and ask you when and how did you first get involved with GHO? Hey, Ron, thank you so much for allowing me to be on this show with you. This is awesome. So I first became involved with GHO in, in 2000, actually November 2000, when I went on my first medical mission to Guatemala. And who was that with that uh, led your team, if you can recall that far back? We're now going uh, 20 years, Andy. Right, yes, um, Andy Sanders. Tell us a little bit how God prepared you for GHO team leadership, Andy. As I think about that question, I really have to go back to my my upbringing. So I grew up as an Army brat, right? My father was a career infantry officer. And so I went to 10 different schools in 12 years, and you learn how to be flexible when you move that often. And you also learn how to make friends, to develop relationships, and to be a good listener. So my people skills started back then because I like to think that's an important attribute to have as a team leader is to be able to build relationships and trust and, and good people skills. But then, for me, the, probably the most significant thing that prepared me to be a team leader was my time at West Point. It was there that my real leadership training began for the first day I entered as a 17-year-old. And despite what people might think because of the reputation of West Point being so rigid and regimented, disciplined, which it is, the style of leadership they teach there and it's ingrained in you is servant leadership. And that was huge. And that's how I lead as a servant leader. People come first. Servant leader is, I believe, someone who is humble, obedient, and loving. And those are the things I learned there and applied to my teams and to my leadership. Discipleship, what does that look like in your personal life, uh, beginning in your home with your family, there where you live in, in Burlington, North Carolina? But I know that's carried around to your teams and to national partners 
and uh, the Lord has given you an influence that really has been national and international. So tell me a little bit about that discipleship model that is a part of your life. It is a huge part. Through leading these teams, Ron, I, what I've learned about myself and what my real passion is, is discipleship. And for me, it looks like investing in and teaching and encouraging and mentoring others. And my real passion is doing that with those who are coming behind me, the, you know, the next the generation behind me. But it's also, it also involves my own peers and at times even those older than me who happen to be on my team. Of course, I try to do that. I have done that with my own, in my own family for my sons, but I've carried it into the medical venue as well. In private practice, uh, in leadership positions within the hospital, whether it's chief of staff or senior leader in the hospital system, I've applied those principles to every opportunity I get with the physicians that I'm involved with. I know, Andy, that the Lord has blessed you and led you and anointed you, and only really, I guess, three people know this information. That's you, the person you were blessed to lead to the foot of the cross and to Christ, and the angel that was recording that name in the Lamb's Book of Life. But that then subsequently looked like a 5.30 or 6 a.m. breakfast someplace with a Bible and a, a new believer doctor. Uh, I don't know how many times you've done that, but that's been a part of your life, correct? Yeah, yeah. That's been a, a huge part of my life. And actually had an opportunity to disciple three different positions at three separate times through the years. And each one for anywhere from a couple of years to five years. And each of these physicians were going through a terrible time in their life, a true crisis, to include a crisis of faith. One in particular, he was a partner of mine in the practice I was involved in, and a very, very prominent cardiologist, incredible cardiologist, the best I've known. But going through a difficult time, terrible divorce, all kinds of things coming down. And one morning we're in the doctor's lounge. It was early, about 7 a.m. And it was just the two of us. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he said, I need God. And he said it just like that. And he knew that admissions. I mean, we were, we were friends. He knew where my faith was. He said, I need God. I said, you know what? We all need God. Amen. So I said to him, would you be willing to meet with me you know, once a week? We could go and we could um, we could do a little study of the Bible and it's an opportunity for you to have someone you can open up to. And, and we started that and we did. We met once a week, almost without fail, for the next five years. That's amazing. And he subsequently been on three medical missions with me and uh, with GHO. Well, that also then leads us to kind of an obvious next question. How have short-term teams that you've been involved with impact long and actually eternal impact on people that you've become a part of? What's your perspective on short-term missions and a long-term impact? There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that short-term medical missions, short-term missions can and do have a huge impact 
in the long run and, um, and for eternity. And I remember really the exact moment when that hit me. I was leading a team to Madova, and we did a home, some home visits, and it was a very tiny, poor, poor village, maybe 3,000 people, 4,000, you know, no running water, intermittent electricity, that type of, you know, that situation. So we, were, we walked up this hill, and there's this um, very elderly woman sitting on some concrete steps in front of her home. And her home was just a block of concrete made in the Soviet Union era, maybe 10 by 10, you know, bed, just minimal furniture, no, no light, no water, just bare. And she was crippled with arthritis. And so I'm sitting next to her, my interpreter and a couple other team members, and we're asking her, you know, telling her about why we're here and how can we help her. And as I'm talking, she's staring in the distance. And she's not saying anything, she's just staring in the distance. And when I look where she was looking, it was a cemetery. And then all of a sudden, she says these words. She said, the only end to pain is the graveyard. Mm. That's when it hit me. Because she had no faith. I mean, she was raised under communism. For her, dying would put the end to everything. Her pain, there would be nothing after that. Her pain would be gone. And I realized she had no hope at all. She lived without hope. And to live without hope is not to live. That's just to exist. And that's when I realized that's what we do. We bring the hope that only Christ can give. And that's why these missions, to me, are so critical. I know uh, with your introduction, you talked about learning how to make friends. And uh, certainly at West Point, you understood the concept of brotherhood. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've seen you flesh those out in terms of deep friendships and a brotherhood that's based on the blood of Christ. And you've done that exceptionally well with many of our national partners. Tell me or give me a story, an example of how friendship and brotherhood has taken on a new dimension for you through your GHO experience. When it first hit me, how important my friendships were with those within the GHO family was when I went through a crisis. And the first people I turned to were my brothers in GHO. One was you, hmm. and the other was Lloyd the Four and Frank and Barato. Without the three of you, uh, y'all were critical at that time. And, you know, I spent time up there in Bristol and this and then I went down to Lloyd's house and I stayed with Lloyd and Susan for a week and they just loved on me and met with Andy Sanders and Griff Griffin and others and they just loved me and so you know and prayed with me and encouraged me and supported me and it was huge Ron you know huge and that's what friendships are about that's what it means to be true brothers in Christ they showed the love of Christ to me well one of the things that uh, the Lord blessed me in getting to know you was the way you developed a love and a passion for learning Spanish. And then you've used that as a wonderful tool. Tell me about that. And uh, uh, this may encourage some of our younger listeners or even older listeners, because I remember another doctor on our teams who started learning Spanish at about age 60 
and I don't know that he would recommend that to everyone, but you had a little bit different approach. Tell us about that. So Spanish has always been my, my favorite subject. You know, I took the required two years in um, high school. When I got to West Point, I took Spanish all four years, and um, which was a big help, and that included uh, um, a couple weeks in Nicaragua in 1975 as um, exchange cadet at the military academy. So that was great. But then after I graduated, I didn't use it for years, right? And But I kept all my books. And then I did that first mission to Guatemala in 2000, and I just felt like the Lord was saying, you need to pick your Spanish back up. You need to learn it again. So I went on this, and I know this sounds crazy, but for the next eight years, every day, I would be up and I would try to immerse myself as best I could, knowing, recognizing him. Here I am, the United States. So I'd get up and I would do my, you know, Bible study in Spanish. I would read in Spanish. I would watch TV news in Spanish. I'd make out note cards of um, words I didn't know and just. I probably got 400 cards by the end. And I'd go over those cards over and over. I would restudy them. I'd go through a chapter after chapter in my old text. And I did that every day. Then I would do the missions in, in Central America. It gives me that much more time to practice. And then gradually, I began to pick up more and more patients, um, Spanish-speaking patients in my clinic because the more I started getting around that, I could at least speak some, and, you know, as it got better, I got more patients, so that gave me more opportunity to speak. So there was this approach, that's how I approached it, and it, it really helped a lot. Well, let's conclude a little bit about how uh, has JHO affected your family, and you mentioned your sons. I know they're all, uh, if they were your sons, they had to grow up learning how to fly fish, uh, but I think you did more than that. Tell me a little bit about that. Right, so... JHO's had a especially tremendous impact on my youngest son, David. And like all three of my sons, um, their faith journey has been back and forth. And um, as they have, um, you know, sought to have their own faith and, and all. But David really did go through a lot of um, ups and downs. and. So there was a time when he started college at North Carolina State. After after a few months there, wake up one morning. There's this email that, and it starts off, "Dad, I know this is going to make you mad, but I'm an atheist now." And the ironic thing was, I'd already got things set up for him to go back to El Salvador for the entire summer and spend the time with Rene Gonzalez and Oscar Garcia. Garcia, right? Yeah. <laughs> so he could, Dave could learn Spanish better and, and all. Wonderful. And I said, well, I was talking to Dave and I said, well, I need to pass this by those guys and make sure they're still willing to have you come, you know, since you're an atheist. I knew what the answer was going to be. <laughs> you know, but I just, you know, I had to tell David that. Correct. So I I called up um, Rene and I, I told him, and Rene goes, just send them down here. We'll love on them. And so they do. And so before David left to go down there and 
and because he's going to be down there for the summer, and I was going to be bringing a team down there, so we're going to overlap. Davey said to me, you know, Dad, I know you're going to come down with the team, but I just, you know, I won't be there when you show up. I'll go over to the beach or something. I said, that's fine, Dave. That's, you know, whatever you want to do. So we land, the, you know, the team, we land there, and guess who's waiting? Dave. Of course. With Rene. And um, David says, um, I decided I just, I'd like to kind of stay, you know, help the team if I could. You might, if I stay with you, and, uh, you know, that wasn't in my plans because he's 6'6", six, six, right? You know, and here we are sleeping in the same bed, so it didn't give us much room. But um, anyway, so he still claims to be an atheist, but he's going to all our teams, team times, and he's helping in the clinic. And then Thursday night comes around, and that's the night we have our farewell time with our interpreters. And, you know, really special dinner and, and all that. So we're getting dressed in the hotel room. Now, and then uh, here they go, Dad. And I look up, and he's crying. And he says, I think I'm starting to believe again. You know, and um, and it's all because of how God uses those beautiful people who are truly my brothers and sisters in El Salvador to love on David. And, uh, I mean, you can't get more impactful than that. Wow. You know, um, and because of the impact it's had on me, Ron, and my heart, and the change that God has done in my heart through the years, you know, my older sons, they've seen that too. And it's, you know, and it's caused them to, you know, increasingly seek, seek God and, um, and strengthen our relationship. But our relationship is so, it's just incredible now. Andy, these words are going to be a great encouragement to many of our listeners today that are going through their own times. And uh, we never get away from family challenges or family crisis. And we know during this COVID-19 time, a lot of people have been literally on top of each other and, and getting frayed nerves and emotions are strained and relationships strained. But uh, just to be reminded again how God uses the greater family and, and the uh, universal family of God to minister to one another. And you have ministered to so many people, a lot of students as well as uh, professional peers. But there comes a time when we need other people to step into our family as we have stepped into other people's family. And sometimes they can do it so much better than we can. Yes. Or give them a perspective or give them a different set of eyes and circumstances. And uh, I know you are and I will be so indebted to so many of our national partners who have loved on our teams, loved on our children, uh, all of my kids except one, and Lord willing, in a couple weeks, all four of them will have been on a GHO trip. And it's impacted all of them in a tremendous way. And uh, this is just a shout out, I guess, to our national partners of GHO and the way they continue to love our team members, and, and you've been a part of teams where we've even had team members come to faith in Christ and even get baptized oh, yeah. on a team yeah. and begin a discipleship process. So, Andy, you live uh, what you proclaim, uh, what your testimony is, you flesh out, and it comes through brokenness, it comes through humility, 
It comes through transparency, and I think those are the qualities Jesus has modeled has modeled for us, and we want to model to others. You mentioned about even adult children seeing changes in their older parents, and uh, I've been challenged and pushed by my own children, and it, it has been encouragement for them, uh, for me to hear from them, Dad, you've changed. And hopefully all of us are in the discipleship process of becoming more and more like the master and our model and our Messiah. God bless you. And I know you got company coming. So uh, enjoy that time and celebrate as you continue the discipleship process. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Ron. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you, Andy, for being a part of this Let's Go GHO podcast today. And I'd also like to take this opportunity to give you a quick update on some upcoming events, as well as current outreach that's going on in our Navajo Nation. Many of you have followed us and become interested, even involved, in our outreach to the crisis point of the COVID-19 on the Navajo Nation out in the Southwest, mainly in Arizona and New Mexico. We currently have four GHO volunteers serving there. Three are in Gallup, a physician and two nurses. And we have one nurse serving in Shiprock. Our last group is slated for this year during the segment of November 7 through 21, when we will have three physicians and a social worker, again, serving our Navajo people as they fight the COVID-19 pandemic. Let me just add that we are in an ongoing conversation with Indian Health Services in the Navajo area about a long-term relationship for our GHO volunteers to be involved in serving our Navajo people in Arizona and New Mexico. Those details will be coming as this currently is a work in process. Finally, we're excited about the possibility of our first GHO team of 2021 heading to Nicaragua with Rolando Castillo, our national GHO director, and a team led by Lloyd and Susan DeFore, along with our own GHO director, Trish Burgess. And we think about a total of 14 as this team is now closed, heading to the island of Ometepe. You can go on our webpage to find out more teams where you can sign up to get involved for GHO 2021. Thank you again for joining us in today's podcast, Let's Go GHO, and we look forward to sharing with you in future episodes. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.